It was last February when we were doing the Chosen event that uh, I met Peter Mutabasi. That's a fighting name. It's like a wrestler's name. In his corner, Peter Mutabasi. I mean, it just sinks. I mean, it's one of those names that just sinks. But over time, we've gotten to know each other and become friends. Uh, you guys helped in getting him a van or uh, SUV, I guess it would be. And uh, you were a major part of that. And uh, you just, I fell in love with this man and just his family, his con just where he's been, what he's done, and his drive uh, that's built inside of him. We're blessed to have him speak here. He's not speaking on, this is not a World Vision event. This is about Now I Am Known. This is about, he wrote a book. It's out there. You guys can purchase it. He'll sign it for you. And uh, just about his life of what God has done and the message that God has put on his heart. So let's give a horizon welcome to Mr. Peter Murabase. Thank you. Hello, family. Truly a pleasure to be here. Um, I have been in hundreds of churches. I've been all over the world, but I've never had a church that loved me this much as you do. Truly, and I, I, I mean it, uh, I love Pastor Tim and, 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 and you all, that you provided for me, that you've given me a sense of to belong, a sense that I, I have a passion, but also that I have people that will carry me through to get where I would like to go. You know, we didn't have uh, turkey this, this week because I don't know how to make turkey. You know, and no one invited us for Turkey. So I thought, what should I tell my kids? I was like, I wish Tim was around. I would be at his home. So we did not have a Turkey, but still we're grateful that God really got to, to, to love and, and give us what he, he could uh, for us. So on behalf of my family, we truly want to thank you uh, again for loving us, you know, and I mean it. I have spoken in 10,000 member church. I've uh, been in... Hundreds, hundreds of churches, but no one, none of those for the last 25 years has treated and been kind to me like you have. So I am truly, truly blessed to be here. So I live in Charlotte, for you who don't know, Charlotte, North Carolina, and I've been there for four years, and it's really a joy to live there, uh, and I've got my kids there, and it's, it, it's fun uh, to be in a place that is green all the time and rains all the time, and they speak a different language than most of you speak. <laughs> different accent, but truly a joy uh, to be there. You know, my heart, my goal in life is to be a foster dad and be be adaptive dad, and advocate for kids in false care. That's where my heart is. They're in my home every night. They're the ones I get to see, wake up, see in the morning. And for me, truly a joy that someone could trust me to have their little ones uh, be with me. Uh, and I get to share with you more about my kids. I just got one like a week ago, so uh, it's been fun to, to have a little one. I thought I can sleep, but I have signed off sleep time. <laughs> When you have a 14-month baby, it, there's, there's no time to sleep. But it's truly, truly been a joy. And I want to share with you, you know, really a little bit of how it all, it all started for me. You know, when I came to the United States, my first day, I flew from Uganda to California, to Los Angeles. And they took me for dinner. And I really, really struggled understanding God's love. Here's why. The food I was given. They gave me food, but also gave me a choice to pick up what I would like to eat. And as I ate, and as we ate, 
afterwards, most of the food was thrown away. And I think for me, I really struggled understanding God's love at that moment. The God, do you love us the same way? The God, do you love us like you love everyone else? Here's why. Where I come from, most kids would die for lack of beans. And so seeing how much was thrown, I said, God, you must love us different ways. Like there's no way you can say all of us are loved in the same box. You know, I lost most of my siblings or my nieces and nephews from malaria. When you haven't eaten for days and you get malaria, literally you have 24 hours to survive. On an empty stomach, when you haven't eaten for days, it will take you in an instant. Malaria kills more people than anything else. Simple disease. But when you haven't eaten, it will take your life so quickly. So for me, that's what I was comparing with. God, you could throw away this much food. But I know there are kids in my village that I went to bed tonight, even tonight, for lack of beans. That you cannot possibly love us the same way. And so for me, I, I kind of began questioning my faith. And church became a little difficult for me to understand because I was seeing what was around me and comparing it how God loves me. So here's what changed for me. So as I was reading through the scripture, I read through Psalm 139. And what me what changed me for me was the person who was really sharing about his journey. In Psalm 139, David doesn't tell us, thank you for giving me good parents. David doesn't say, thank you for making me the king. Thank you for giving me the animals. Thank you for giving me 300 wives. Can you imagine? I'm, I'm a single man. <laughs> 300 wives? What do you do with 300 wives? <laughs> but I love in Psalm 139 on how he views God. And that really helped me on how to understand and how God loves me. And I'm going to read for you a few chapters, a few verses I go through with you. In Psalm 139, he says, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know me. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. But I know kids in Africa today, they woke up. They walked. That for me to understand that God knows every intricate of their lives. As David was saying, he didn't say, Thank you for giving me the best thing. But he says, thank you for creating me that way, that you know me so well. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. That to know a kid in Africa and a kid here in the United States, that God knows everything they do. Not what they eat, but what they do. You know me when I'm going to, to say even, you know, you know me, what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand on blessings on my head. Such a knowledge for me is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. He looks at himself and says, God, I cannot believe that you understand. You know my thoughts. You know when I wake up. You know when I stretch. You know it. And he says, that understanding of you, God, it is too much to attain, too much to really grasp. And I like what he says in 7. I can never escape from your spirit. 
I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the moon, if I dwell by the fatherless oceans, even there, your hand will guide me. You know, and I'm going to jump to 14. What he says in 14 is what really, really captivates me. I'll start from 13. You made all the delicate innermost part of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is, is marvelous. How well I know it. The other chapter says, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And that helped me to understand that God doesn't love me because he gave me too much food. God doesn't love me because I have everything I need. But God loves me of who he created me. And that's what David is saying. Say, I am so wonderfully made. That that is enough for me to love you and to know you as my God. And that's really what helped me. To not look at food. To not look at things. But to look at how God loves me. But also I wanted to change it. Now that I knew I was in the United States, now I knew I can have as much food as I can, now I knew also that there was a question for me. Now that you have all that, what do you do with it? And that's why we turn to Luke 12, 48. To whom much is given, much is required. To me, I feel I've been given so much. As you get to learn about my journey, of all people, I thought I, I was given a billion dollars in some way. For me to sit down on it and enjoy myself, I knew that wasn't enough. So while we were in Kenya, I had pastors from Texas. While we were driving in a safari, there was a pastor next to me, and he's telling me about his little girl he just got. And he's talking and talking. I'm like, wow. So he pulls out the picture. This pastor is Caucasian, and his little, boy, little girl was black. So I thought, how does that work? <laughs> is your wife... African-American said, no, this little one came to us from the false care. And then I go to learn about false care while on the safari in Africa. And instantly I knew that is what I would like to do. That's what I want to go do. That's what I want to help. But I knew I could not do it. I'm single, so I thought there's no way they can allow me to be a false parent. While I was in Ethiopia, I, you know, I traveled with people who are adopting kids in China, in Uganda, and in Ethiopia. So this time I asked, I said, hey, Ethiopian, is there a way I could also adapt? They said, no, you have to be an American or European, married or female. So I knew there was no way I can do so. But also I traveled over the world with farmers who were adapting. I never seen anyone who looked like me who was adapting. So I thought, it's a specific people who are married, come from some place of the world. So that's for me how I understood the lie. But when I came to United States, I was like, I have to walk into the false care. At least I'm sure there are teenagers there. They're going to allow me to at least, at least mentor. So I walked in. I said, hey, I would like to mentor kids. Is there a way I could help? And the social worker who received me said, hey, have you ever thought of being a false dad? In my head, I'm like, of course I've thought about it every day. But I know I don't qualify. And she said, why do you think so? I said, I'm single. She said, so? She said, you can be a false parent. That day, I signed up. Before I left her office, I said, could you give me documents to sign just so I know I can come back and be? (laughs) 
And well, four months later, I got my license. And I became a foster dad. Since then, I've had 29 kids. Right now, I have six. And I've adopted one. So I would like to show you pictures of what my chaotic life is at home. So you can see. This is my five-year-old. He's cool. And I like when he gets to sit next to me and say, Papa, I love you. Oh, Papa, thank you. And most of what he's saying, saying, I, I can't believe I get to have a place to sleep and I don't have to worry. Next picture. This is the sister of the other little one. I've always had boys. That's what I signed up for. These social workers sometimes don't listen, you know? <laughs> you give them guidelines. This is what I want. And then they call me. They say, there's a little boy, the five-year-old. I said, sure, I'll take him. They said, but there's a sister. And I was like, ding, I've already said yes. How do I say now? No. <laughs> so I said, sure. And I took in this little girl. I mean, she's the most wonderful kid I can say. She gets to paint my nails, <laughs> sometimes when I, I don't have time. I have no hair, but she gets to work on my hair, <laughs> which I don't have. Imagine a hair. But the other part, that she gets to remind me of where I come from. I come from a country where women are second-class citizens. I come from a place where my sister was treated like she wasn't a human being, that she got to teach me how to listen and how to love and how to see my mothers and my sisters through the lens of how I care for her. And every time I pick her from school, she always says, Papa, thank you for coming to get me. But what she's saying, many times no one came to get me, but you come to get me. Next. That's her again, as you can tell. Now I know how to make hair. Next. <laughs> it's my 18-year-old. Again, I've had him for, for a while. And this kid has been in 12 homes. 12 homes, think about it. You've been in 12 homes and everyone told you, I would like to adopt you. But a few months later said, no, not me. He's the oldest of five and all the other four have been adopted, but him. So when he came to me, he said, hey, I would like to be your family forever. Is that possible? And I said, absolutely either through adoption, or you don't have to be adopted, but I'll always be your family. So he's one of us, and we love him. And now he's visiting his dad he has not seen for 18 years, for the first time in Kansas City. He's a handful. They didn't tell me about teenagers, so I, I'm still learning, recovering. Next picture. Yes, these two little ones, uh, one and a half and two and a half. And here's the thing for me as a, as a dad. When, when I go pick up the kids, they always give me two diapers and one set of clothes. Here you go. See you next week. But here's the cool thing. When I go pick up these kids, and when they come warmly to your hands, and they feel safe, they feel, I don't look like them. We don't, we don't have anything in common. But in some way, when they come and, and they ask me, or they look at me, or they go to bed, and they have to feel my body in order to sleep. It's a great nature, or a great way of understanding how God loves us in so many ways, that I'm humbled that these two 
could want me to be their dad, no matter how short time we have. That these little ones did not choose to be born in the home where they are, but yet they have no place to be. So they went back to, usually what happens, Fosca, is they bring them to me for 24 hours and they figure out where they're going to go. So the next of kin, their auntie, uh, just took them, so they are with their auntie right now. But I just get a phone call, like, she can't have them, so can I take them? And I said, I'm full. I have no space for them. And it's crazy how our world really, in some way, uh, has forsaken our kids. Next. This is my son, you know, Anthony. You all know him. He's my adopted son. So also false care. Social workers, they don't tell you anything. They usually say, we need a respite. Respite is when you're taking a kid for a few days, usually a weekend, so the parents can, you know, survive. So I got a phone call for respite for him. And I thought I was doing only one weekend. But when he walked in, he said, hey, can I call you my dad? And I said, no. <laughs> no. You came for two days. You're leaving on Monday. But on Monday, I got to know about his journey, which I've shared with you before. He's been in the four scale since he was one and a half. He was placed with a family who adopted him at four. And then that family dropped him to the hospital, never said goodbye, never told him why they didn't want him anymore. So as soon as on Monday, I knew, okay, he's my kid. So I adopted him three years ago. So he's Anthony Mutabazi. Next. They are my teenagers. All this gray hair is from these two. <laughs> Next. This is my three-year-old. He's with us. He's a terror, I can tell you. <laughs> but he calls me Papa, and every time I get home, he's the only one that runs and says, Papa, are you here? And he's going to be adopted by his grandmother, who lives in Michigan, so I'm waiting for the transition. Moving from one state to another state is not easy, so it takes time. So now he's moving to Michigan, maybe in February. But while I have him, we love him. And it's going to be hard to say goodbye. Next picture. This one. This is my little look youngest that I have. But I'm grateful to truly have this little one. She's 14 months old, and she's a sister of my six and seven-year-old. Yes, yep. That's when I get that phone call. They're like, hey, there's a... 13-month baby, and I'm like, no, I'm not taking anyone any younger than that. And they're like, well, she's a sister of the other. Then I'm like, okay, I'll take that one. But here's what I'm grateful for you, that I'm able to do so because of Horizon Church. You provide for me transportation that I can have all my kids in one car. As a single parent, I have to drive with them everywhere I go. This is where you come in. This is where you've made a difference in my life. This is where you become family than any other person or any other church that I've known for your kindness. Your small church, you're bigger than you think. You've reached more farmers than you think. I live in North Carolina. I won't be able to do what I do without Horizon Church. And that's where I'm grateful for you. Fostering is not easy. It's a journey that is difficult in every shape form you can imagine. But you've come alongside me and my kids. That you've said, we will not let you not drive. We'll make sure you have a meal. But also, you, we can counsel you. Every time I have a problem, I say, Tim, do you have time? <laughs> and he always has time for me. 
a church that I met once that you made every difference in my own life. And that's where I'm going to share you a little bit of my journey, just like Tim and your church have been. As a street kid, life was miserable in every shape form you could imagine. And I'm sharing about this so you can know sometimes uh, why foster or why sometimes giving someone food isn't enough. But sometimes there are wounds that we go through that need a little patching or a little revisit in some way. As a kid, I knew life was miserable in every shape form. I knew there was no future for me. I come from a very poor, 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 poor of the poorest you could imagine. So no one ever told me to dream. No one ever said, hey, there's a future for you. Here's why. There wasn't food to feed us. I've shared with you before that I had one meal on Christmas. The only time on Christmas that I had chicken. So for me, I knew Christmas was really about chicken. <laughs> and as kids too, we, men eat first, women, and then the kids last. So sometimes even that didn't get to us. And then on Easter, we had beef. Why? I come from a Roman Catholic family. I ate of Lent, that's when we would have something to eat that was different. So those are the only two, two days in a year that I had a different meal in some way. Never had a pair of shoes. I had one, kit, one clothes for Monday to Saturday and one for Sunday. My family could not afford $5 to send me to school. Not once. I went to fetch, a three, fetch water three to four miles away twice a day. So when do you become a kid? Or when do you know there's a future for you? And then at the age of four, I began to realize that my father was abusive in every way, shape, form you could think. This is what I had from my dad. Not one time did I ever hear one kind word from my father, ever. This is what I had. Peter, you'll never amount to anything. Peter, you're useless. Peter, I wish you were never born so I did not have to feed you. That's what I had every day. So as a kid, you hear that often and you believe in it, that your own father wishes the worst for you. So why should a stranger be kind to you? So I turned a runaway, and I ran away not because I was looking for a future, not because I was looking for something better. I just wanted to die, but die in the hands of a stranger, not my own father. That's why I ran away. I wasn't looking for a better life. I just wanted to die in the hands of someone else. And I ended up in Kampala. I had never been 20 miles away. I went 500 kilometers away and ended up in Kampala and became a street kid. That became my journey. And as street kids, you can imagine, yes, the abuse at home was horrible, but at the, on the streets, a hundred times, a hundred times, that someone will not feed you food, but they'll rather throw it in the garbage so you can go get it to the garbage before the dogs get to it. That I slept in the sewer canal, smelling where all the garbage and all name it, because no human beings would go there, but it was a safe place for us to be. I was called garbage every day. No one ever called me by name. No. I lived on the streets for four years. No one had ever asked me, what's your name? No. I was the garbage. I was the useless kid. And that's what you believe. That's what you hear in your head. And that's what you believe. I lived on survival. Food. That's all I could think about. Food. If I can steal food, that's all. My lens looked at food. That's all I could see I could think of. Until I tried to steal from a stranger. 
Why this stranger? Because he was wearing glasses and khakis. So if you're wearing glasses and khakis this morning, watch out for your wallet. You might go. <laughs> As a street kid, that was a sign that there's food. You can afford food. And before I could steal from him, he said, what is your name? And that really rattled me. My name, me? You want to know a garbage street boy, a thief? Want to know? But also that worried me. You want to know? That means you're being kind. For us, kindness meant abuse. Because for everyone who was kind, it was abusive at the same time. So I wanted to run away, but he gave me something to eat, and he left. So in the next week, the next week, the next week. By the fourth, I kind of knew who he was, what he buys. So I knew that day I don't have to steal. But also that day, someone gets to call me by what my mother called me. So it was a reminder of who my mother was because he called me by my name, Peter. And so he fed me for one year and a half, and finally he said, hey, if you have an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school? And I laughed at him. I was like, this guy is a joke. And he's why. And that's what most of our foster kids are. You, you're surviving to look for food. Like, all you think in your mind is, will I, will I eat today? To tell you to go to school? Why would I want to go to school? It's like me telling you guys, I've told you this joke before. They're sending people to the moon. Anyone wants to go? Yes, you laugh because no one goes to bed thinking, I would like to go to the moon. Any? So think of reversing on the, on, the, on the other side. For other street kids, and sometimes for our foster kids, when you give them a dream, when they're only thinking of survival, it means nothing. And to you, most of the time, you're like, you kids, you're ungrateful. You don't understand. No, our mind, our mental capacity is thinking about one thing, food, and most time, can I make it? Will I make it? Will I make it? And that's why we have kids who come home. My kids will hoard the food and keep it. Why? It's not because they are stealing food. No, they don't know food will be there tomorrow. So if I can take it and keep it, I will have something to eat tomorrow. That was me as a kid. I could only think today about tomorrow. I don't know. I don't have it. If someone looked in my eyes and I looked back, that meant he wants to fight. So I would just stand and ready to hit this guy because it was a defense mechanism. When I went to school the first day, I don't know how many people I beat because they looked at me and that meant they want to fight. Defense mechanism. And so are kids in force care. Sometimes the behaviors you get to see isn't the behavior. It's the internal way they are thinking to solve, to protect themselves. And that's why I became a dad. That's why I became a foster dad. Because this man helped me to heal. He gave me food. Now I thought about food. And then once he said, would you go to school? Well, it took a while because he said, if you go to school, there'll be food. There'll be lunch, dinner, and breakfast. That's all I had. There'll be food. I am coming. And so for me, I went to school for a meal. But while on the street, while all going to school, he gave me shoes for the very first time. I never had a shoe until when I was 16. And then there was food. Do you know why I didn't hit someone there at school? The second week, because I knew if I hit someone, I'm going to miss out on that food. So I didn't have to hit someone. 
When they went to class, I would savage everything they had. I'm like, what can I steal today in this dormitory? It was a boarding school. But then I won't take it because I thought, man, I'll miss on that dinner. No, I'm not taking it. But in the eyes of a meal, I began to dream better, better. I went to class, not because I wanted to be somebody, but now I said, wait a minute. If I go to class, I'll get a meal. So the survival for me was a meal. But along the way, I found out I was smarter than just a meal. So even our kids in care, sometimes we, we forget the needs, the basic what they are looking for, but they never got as a kid. They want to be loved, but they don't know how to receive it. And so you love them, they repel. My kids, on their birthday, I don't even say. I just put the things right there. When I ask them, what would you like on your Christmas list? None, nothing. My teenagers, they don't give me. But I've come learn to learn to listen to them along the year. What are they asking for? You know why they don't ask? Because they ask a hundred times and they never received anything. Or they were given a handout that nobody wants. So they're like, I would rather not ask. So them not asking is not because they don't like me. They just, they don't believe anyone can be that kind. And that's how I love my kids. Because I learned the survival mode on how to really overcome that. And that's been my journey. And that's why I wrote the book too. That I wanted to share with my friends. I wanted to share with most of us who've gone through a difficult time. For me, my foster family, they really helped me to heal by teaching me, embrace your past and use it to do good for yourself. Which they based on Genesis, the life of Joseph. I think Genesis 50, 20. When his brothers found him and they said, oh no, he's going to kill us. But how he responded, he said, for what you meant for evil, God used it for good to save lives. And that's my motto in life, to use it for good to save lives. I don't know you listening, guys, or you online. You've gone through bad marriage. Don't let that define your future. You had a difficult childhood or a bad boss. Don't let that define your future. But rather, use it as a foundation to do good for you and for others. And that's why I'm a foster dad. I have extended families for the kids that have gone back to their families. I've been told how to be a parent, but I was never told how to say goodbye. That little one is about to leave, but every time I look in his eyes and when he's in my arms, I'm like, you got, you're going to go? No, you can't. But to know that even with that, I have an extended family somewhere. My Christmas shopping list is, a, you know, it's not good because I have 28 kids to buy for. Because I figured I don't have to judge their parents, but I have to love on them. I'm the most educated human being. I have resources. I know what to do when I need. But to some of these moms, they don't know how. No one came alongside them to help them survive. And so for me as a foster dad, I have to extend that hand and be there for them. Be there for that dad who everyone looks at the failure to say, no, I'm here to uplift you and come alongside because that's what someone did for me. And that's why I wrote the book, Now I'm Known, to make others known. It's easy to throw a stone at someone. But it's always good to think through, what if I was them? What did they have to go through to get there? What if? 
I'm a man, so I can be honest. Men, tell me, the mom has four kids. She can barely go through the day. She's worried for them and she loves them so much. And she can't sleep because the stress is burning her up. Tell me what you do. If alcohol can help you to sleep, won't you take some? If someone introduced you to drugs, won't you take some just so that mind can rest? And then along the way, you don't know how to get off that. Did they go in because they want it? No. Because we left them with kids and they don't know how to take care of them. So who am I to dare judge that mother? How dare you not take care of your kids? Oh, one mom born in the false care. Mom was in the false care. She's 14, 15, she gets pregnant with the pimps the mom is bringing. Tell me, who taught her how to be a mom? Who? Nobody. So why should I throw that stone towards that mom? No. And that's why I'm a foster dad. So on behalf of my family, on behalf of your church, you've helped me be the best foster mom, foster dad I can be. And that's why I'm here to, to encourage you to do for others in your community. Sometimes all they need is a cup of coffee. Sometimes when you ask me, Peter, what do you want? I say, I don't know. I'm drowning, so there's nothing I can tell you. But when you're at the store and say, I am at the store right now, milk or eggs, I will tell you. Milk or eggs, sure, because you're right there. You call me 10 times, Tim will text me, Peter, I haven't heard from you. Okay, sir, I am okay. What do you need? I need one, two, three, and make sure that I get what I need. Even just a little counsel. That's what we're looking for, to force moms and dads in our community. Don't wait for them to call you, no. Show up with that pizza. Show up that pizza without asking. Pepperoni or cheese? Me, it's pepperoni and cheese. So on behalf of my family, I want to say thank you for allowing me to be the best that I can be. Thank you. I'm waiting for that man with four legs. Thank you, Peter. Now, he's going to be out in the, what do we call it? Hallway? Main Street? Yeah, Main Street. Can I go see? This is a book. You, you can escape. <laughs> Give him a hand again, Mr. Peter Bunamazi. <laughs> no part of just being there, and uh, I know we have foster parents in our church. And part of the challenge is that maybe God's whispering in your ear to be foster parent. A lot of kids in the area as well. And so um, if that is an interest of yours, please tell Peter that and we can try to hook you up with the right people. Because that's a, that's a tough, tough job. I, I have friends who are foster parents. I, I don't know how you say goodbye. I mean, I, that would be the hardest thing in the world to me is they love on the kids and then they have to go somewhere else. But that's why you're there too, to give them a safe place till they have a safe place that can take them on. And uh, Peter's done all these things from adoption to everything that he's come from a place of that he was considered nothing 
But God sent him a person to say, you are known. What's your name? How can we do that with somebody else in our community? Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Peter. I thank you for what you've done in his life. One, that he's here. Two, that you saved him. Three, he didn't take that for granted, and he's given back. He's asked you what you'd have him to do, and this is what you've called him to do. Father, I pray that you would continue to encourage him with a, a baby in diapers, one that's learning to be potty trained, one uh, in first grade and second grade, and a teenager learning to drive. Oh, my. Um, but, Father, you've built him the way he is to endure and to, to do these things, and then to speak all over the world and um, encourage other people to do something to ask you, because you, you tell us you're going to instruct us. You tell us you're going to teach us. You tell us you're going to guide us in the way um, that we should be going, Father, but you're just waiting for us to ask you where should that be for those who are doing those things, Lord, for those families in this church who are foster parents. Um, some have kids of their own and have chosen to foster on top of that. Um, Lord, may you bless them and encourage them uh, as they reach and touch kids that have, for the most part, said they're not wanted or needed, um, but they're special to you. Thank you for these families that have taken them in. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.